Hello, time for go to bed fans. It's Thursday. Thursday. And we're back. And we're back. Did you miss us? You did. I knew it. Or better than ever. Better than ever. Better than it was. Kiddo has been in waiting in the wings for a whole week. <laughs> That's probably true. Oh, gosh, I feel so bad. I, I've missed an entire kiddo. How patient is kiddo? Hmm, not sure. He seems an impulsive one. Is one of the uh, heads more patient than the other? Well, yeah, I'm sure. But I think, for the most part, he's not a big thinker. Even though he's got three heads. But he's got a I big heart. I think he's heart. an actor, a doer. And he's got a big heart. Maybe he's three He's got a hearts. big heart. He's got to have a big heart. He's got three heads. Oh, yeah. Got to keep that blood pumping somehow. Yep. So, you yeah, here we it. are. We're, uh, this is our first show in September. Yes. So, 9-9. Nine, nine. Yeah. 9-9. Nine, nine. It's a special day. It is. So, this is my yep. dad's birthday. It is. So. 9-9. Nine, nine. But, uh, miss you, dad. But always thinking of you. Uh, so Thank yeah, so we've got, uh, we're back in, uh, well, we have a, um, another horoscope, uh, to play today, of course, for Virgos. And... Virgos, who are they? Who are what they? do they do? Where do they come from? Where do they come from? Uh, we have, uh, two, uh, chapters 11 and 12 of Dorothy and the Wizard of, uh, in Oz from LibriVox, the same one we've been listening to. Uh, the next to the last episode of Wormwood Forest, so next episode... Uh, it's almost uh, done. Yeah, next next week, we're gonna call it, a, call it a wrap on Wormwood Forest, until eventually we might revisit it. Um, yeah. And of course, we've got uh, two new installments of Jerry of the Circus... And Woo-hoo! the Magic Island and a five-minute mystery. Mm-hmm-hmm. So, there we go. But I think without further ado, let's learn about the Virgo. How about that? I want to. I want to know. August 24th through September 23rd. Those of you born during this period, your sign of the Zodiac is Virgo. It is a mutable earth sign denoting solidarity, stability, steadfastness of purpose, the power to build, and willpower. The symbol of your sign is the Virgin. The ruler of your sign is Mercury. Gemstones recommended for you, pink jasper or topaz. Harmonious colors, gray or blue. Your day of the week is Wednesday. You born under the sign of Virgo know how to bring order out of confusion. You're a genius when it comes to handling details. Your mind is orderly, neat, and both your hands and mine work in harmony with each other. At all times, your left hand does know what the right hand is doing. Your ability to separate, label, and arrange facts, figures, and materials in an orderly fashion is one of your principal characteristics. The same orderly procedures are also evident when you deal with manpower. You can put the right man in the right job for maximum results at minimum cost, a quality extremely important. 
your eye for perfection of detail sometimes becomes blinded to the larger picture. You must train yourself to open both eyes and see a panorama rather than a painting on the head of a pin. This broader viewpoint might make your stunted imagination grow and help you to success. Both sexes under the sign of Virgo are inclined to be almost hygienically neat in dress. You're never tempted toward flashy clothes. Conservatism and thrift are key words in your life. You are more prone to smile than to let loose with loud laughter. Your craving for perfection can make you a rather difficult mate in marriage. Specks of dust and unemptied ashtray can upset your day. It's then that your mate will get the word, critical about orderliness at all times. It's something to be conscious of and try to correct. Neither male or female under this sign is inclined toward passionate love. They seldom stray. Separation or divorce is usually unthinkable to you Virgo people. The principal reason might be because it would upset your very neat, orderly routine. The people who could be the most harmonious mates for you would be those born under the signs of Capricorn or Taurus. August 24th through September 23rd, the sign of Virgo the Virgin, who rules your practical, organized, unemotional life. But you must learn to unbend, relax, laugh, become warm. That's why Taurus or Capricorn might be your best choice for husband or wife. Listen to your stars. That's the name of the record. You think so? Came, is that this, what it says? Is that, is it says, it, listen to your stars? That's the name of the record it came off of. From the 60s. Oh. Listen okay. to your stars. Yeah. Yeah. There you go, Virgos. Mm -hmm. And happy birthday, Foxfire. Uh, yeah, happy birthday. birthday. You're not that old. Come on. My grandma just turned 101. That's right. She did. Holy smokes. Mm -hmm. So, um, but anyway, yeah. So, uh, welcome to uh, Thursday. Uh, thank you for uh, understanding. We took the week off. My sinuses were a wreck last week, and Susan was feeling under the weather. Um, so. I took, I um, didn't get my one medication in the mail, and it destroyed me. I was just. Like, seriously, 12 hours late taking a pill, and it destroyed me. Well, so. hopefully that won't happen again. And uh, just a, a couple, uh, you know, it's been a big, big couple weeks for us. Uh, a lot it of has. things, a lot of big things have been going down. Uh, we, um, I, I, I think I told everybody already that I resigned from my job. We lost our health coverage, but I just got enrolled in uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, found a, a nice, um, decent, affordable health care plan. Uh, that, it know, was affordable care. It was affordable, and it was health, and it was care. Mm -hmm. um, so thanks, Obama and uh, <laughs> and Biden. Uh, but yeah, and, and, uh, so we were finally enrolled in that. So that, you know, that was nerve wracking there. You know, of course we're not covered. A little nerve wracking. Yeah. We're not covered until the beginning of next month, but you know, um, but we're okay. feeling confident because our store is still doing well. The eBay store is going well. I know not everybody really gives a crap that we talk about that, but we've been selling some interesting things, um, and selling some older stuff. What you, you, know? sh what you should care yeah. about. 
is we're both employing ourselves and enjoying it and living our own dreams instead of mm -hmm. supporting other people to make their dreams come true. Exactly. And not only that, but we're helping find the value of things that people would throw in a landfill and yeah. wouldn't break down for centuries, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it makes me sick when I see it here about people throwing out, um, you know, VHS tapes and stuff like that. Because, yeah. you know, it's, uh, there, there are, there is a market for them. So, and, mail them uh, to us. And we're starting mail to expand. Us. We are starting to expand into a more DVD, uh, territory and a little bit of Blu ray. And, mm -hmm. uh, we've got a whole bunch of jungle movies up now. <laughs> mm -hmm. We apparently the guy who uh, we got the one big estate sale had a lot of uh, jungle type movies and uh, jungle Tarzan Amazon, but also historical Hercules kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, well, sword and sandal, oh, yeah. uh, inaccurate prehistoric yeah. depictions of human beings and dinosaurs living side by side. <laughs> you know, like the inspiration for the Flintstones. Um, you got it. And, uh, but yeah, sexy women and dinosaurs and jungles and stuff like that, you know, so. Oh, we, oh, we, oh. She Wolves of the Wasteland. Looking forward to listing that it's one. It's coming out. It's coming out. It's coming up. Coming up. Happening. Uh, so yeah, so, uh, but you know, it's, it's nice to, you know, it, it, it I, I gotta say it is, it is such a liberating feeling because I had it hanging over my head for so long that I was going to have to go back to work and I over the, over the last year and what four months yeah. I've uh, you know I've grown very accustomed to being home and mm -hmm. trying to make things better here and make a go of uh, earning some money my unemployment ran out early in the beginning of the year but it was okay because you know I mean I'd, I'd saved most of what I was getting yeah and uh, you know I, I stopped getting all spendy and um yeah and so you know and again we don't have a lot of bills so uh it's it's uh it's nice to um to break free and uh i know my employer's angry though well, <laughs> i know we can't worry are. about that too much because i know i we just have to we have yeah. to chase our own dreams we have to run after our yeah. own dreams i just like uh, you do yeah i just i just think that you know I mean, it was it. Hey, I didn't know the Delta variant was going to come. You know, was going to happen. I should have known. I mean, because of how how not serious people are uh, about you um, know, the, yeah, the vaccine and and staying safe and running around without masks and you know, yeah. and it's white people. It's driving me crazy. It's like every time I'm out, it's like, gee, you know, a bunch of idiot white people without masks. What do you know? You know. What do you know? And, um, and a lot of older folks too. And it drives me crazy. It's like, you know what? We're doing this to protect you, you know? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so yeah, so that's where, that's, that's where we are. I'm, I'm just, you know, uh, but you know, a lot of things of final are, are getting finalized with my dad's estate and everything. So that is not consuming as much time or stressing me out or, um, you know, uh, upsetting me and you know yeah. so things have calmed down with like my personal relationships with my with my family and you know because you know there were tense moments uh, throughout things since i was in charge and people were helping and they felt you know 
eh, you know. So, but yeah. yeah, so, so I'm, I, you know, just so everybody knows that's, you know, just to give a, a friendly little update to, to our, our little family of an audience here, uh, on where we are. So, but at the same time, we're running our online business, we're having a good time and we are, um, you know, we're, uh, we've got, we've got a decent income stream coming in, but we're, um, you know. We've got other income streams, but yeah. this one is the one that we are. So, are we are we self-employed? Are we retired? We're kind of working retired, which yeah. is the way I wanted to be. But you know, if you've worked for the man for the last, I don't know, since you were ten. Yeah, so ten. I've worked for the man for the last forty years. Whatever. I've had paper routes and and jobs sure. and two jobs and yeah. three jobs and you know it, it's finally time. That's true. I had paper routes and you know uh, until yeah. I was old enough to get like a, a dishwashing job and you know got yeah. that when I was like fifteen or sixteen and then you know I worked All ever that. since. So, mm -hmm. but uh, but yeah. So anyway, it's uh, anyway. That's anyway. uh, that's where we are. Uh, so before, without further ado, we should get into some of the stories. And since everybody's been waiting a week, we got to get to Dor Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. Yeah. And um, I think they might meet some wooden gargoyles in this chapter. Yes. Awesome. All right. Let's. Uh, oh, and here's a. Here's a teaser for the Magic Island later. Would you like to know how it feels? <laughs> okay. I'm not scared. Nah. Uh, all right, here we go. Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz, Chapter 11. Chapter 11 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. They meet the wooden gargoyles. Another breathless climb brought our adventurers to a third landing where there was a rift in the mountain. On peering out, all they could see was rolling banks of clouds so thick that they obscured all else. But the travelers were obliged to rest, and while they were sitting on the rocky floor, the wizard felt in his pocket and brought out the nine tiny piglets. To his delight they were now plainly visible which proved that they had passed beyond the influence of the magical valley of Vaux. "'Why, we can see each other again!' cried one joyfully. "'Yes,' sighed Eureka, "'and I also can see you again, and the sight makes me dreadfully hungry. Please, Mr. Wizard, may I eat just one of the fat little piglets? You'd never miss one of them, I'm sure.' "'What a horrid, savage beast!' exclaimed a piglet, and after we've been such good friends, too, and played with one another. When I'm not hungry, I love to play with you all, said the kitten demurely, but when my stomach is empty, it seems that nothing will fill it so nicely as a fat piglet. And we trust you so, said another of the nine reproachfully, and thought you were respectable, said another. It seems we were mistaken declared a third, looking at the kitten timorously. No one with such murderous desires should belong to our party, I'm sure. 
You see, Eureka, remarked Dorothy reprovingly, you are making yourself disliked. There are certain things proper for a kitten to eat, but I never heard of a kitten eating a pig under any circumstances. Did you ever see such little pigs before? asked the kitten. They are no bigger than mice, and I'm sure mice are proper for me to eat. It isn't the bigness, dear, it's the variety, replied the girl. These are Mr. Wizard's pets, just as you are my pet, and it wouldn't be any more proper for you to eat them than it would be for Jim to eat you. And that's just what I shall do if you don't let those little balls of pork alone, said Jim, glaring at the kitten with round big eyes. If you injure any one of them, I'll chew you up instantly. The kitten looked at the horse thoughtfully, as if trying to decide whether he meant it or not. In that case, she said, I'll leave them alone. You haven't many teeth left, Jim, but the few you have are sharp enough to make me shudder. So the piglets will be perfectly safe hereafter as far as I am concerned. That is right, Eureka, remarked the wizard earnestly. Let us all be a happy family and love one another. Eureka yawned and stretched herself. I've always loved the piglets, she said, but they don't love me. No one can love a person he's afraid of, asserted Dorothy. If you behave and don't scare the little pigs, I'm sure they'll grow very fond of you. The wizard now put the nine tiny ones back into his pocket, and the journey was resumed. We must be pretty near the top now, said the boy, as they climbed wearily up the dark, winding stairway. The country of the gurgles can't be far from the top of the earth, remarked Dorothy. It isn't very nice down here. I'd like to get home again, I'm sure. No one replied to this, because they found they needed all their breath for the climb. The stairs had become narrower, and Zeb and the wizard often had to help Jim pull the buggy from one step to another, or keep it from jamming against the rocky walls. At last, however, a dim light appeared ahead of them, which grew clearer and stronger as they advanced. Thank goodness we're nearly there, panted the little wizard. Jim, who was in advance, saw the last stair before him and stuck his head above the rocky sides of the stairway. Then he halted, ducked down, and began to back up so that he nearly fell with the buggy onto the others. Let's go down again, he said in his hoarse voice. Nonsense, snapped the tired wizard. What's the matter with you, old man? Everything, grumbled the horse. I've taken a look at this place, and it's no fit country for real creatures to go to. Everything's dead up there. No flesh, no blood, or growing things anywhere. Never mind, we can't turn back, said Dorothy, and we don't intend to stay there anyhow. It's dangerous, growled Jim in a stubborn tone. See here, my good steed, broke in the wizard. Little Dorothy and I have been in many queer countries in our travels, and always escaped without harm. We've even been to the marvelous land of Oz, haven't we, Dorothy? So we don't much care what the country of the gargoyles is like. Go ahead, Jim, and whatever happens, we'll make the best of it. All right, answered the horse. This is your excursion and not mine, so if you get into trouble, don't blame me. 
With this speech, he bent forward and dragged the buggy up the remaining steps. The others followed, and soon they were all standing upon a broad platform and gazing at the most curious and startling sight their eyes had ever beheld. The country of the gargoyles is all wooden, exclaimed Zeb, and so it was. The ground was sawdust, and the pebbles scattered around were hard knots from trees, worn smooth in course of time. There were odd wooden houses with carved wooden flowers in the front yards. The tree trunks were of coarse wood, but the leaves of the trees were shavings. The patches of grass were splinters of wood, and where neither grass nor sawdust showed was a solid wooden flooring. Wooden birds fluttered among the trees, and wooden cows were browsing upon the wooden grass. But the most amazing things of all were the wooden people, the creatures known as gargoyles. They were very numerous, for the palace was thickly inhabited, and a large group of the queer people clustered near, gazing sharply upon the strangers who had emerged from the long spiral stairway. The gargoyles were very small of stature, being less than three feet in height. Their bodies were round, their legs short and thick, and their arms extraordinarily long and stout. Their heads were too big for their bodies, and their faces were decidedly ugly to look upon. Some had long curved noses and chins, small eyes, and wide grinning mouths. Others had flat noses, protruding eyes, and ears that were shaped like those of an elephant. There were many types indeed, scarcely two being alike, but all were equally disagreeable in appearance. The tops of their heads had no hair, but were carved into a variety of fantastic shapes, some having a row of points or balls around the top, other designs resembling flowers or vegetables, and still others having squares that looked like waffles cut crisscross on their heads. They all wore short wooden wings, which were fastened to their wooden bodies by means of wooden hinges with wooden screws, and with these wings they flew swiftly and noiselessly here and there, their legs being of little use to them. This noiseless motion was one of the most peculiar things about the gargoyles. They made no sounds at all, either in flying or trying to speak, and they conversed mainly by means of quick signals made with their wooden fingers or lips. Neither was there any sound to be heard anywhere throughout the wooden country. The birds did not sing, nor did the cows moo, yet there was more than ordinary activity everywhere. The group of these queer creatures which was discovered clustered near the stairs at first remained staring and motionless, glaring with evil eyes at the intruders who had so suddenly appeared in their land. In turn the wizard and the children, the horse and the kitten, examined the gargoyles with the same silent attention. "'There's going to be trouble, I'm sure,' remarked the horse. Unhitch those tugs, Zeb, and set me free from the buggy so I can fight comfortably. Jim's right, sighed the wizard. There's going to be trouble, and my sword isn't stout enough to cut up those wooden bodies, so I shall have to get out my revolvers. He got his satchel from the buggy, and opening it, took out two deadly-looking revolvers that made the children shrink back in alarm just to look at. 
"'What harm can the gurgles do?' asked Dorothy. "'They have no weapons to hurt us with.' "'Each of their arms is a wooden club,' answered the little man, "'and I'm sure the creatures mean mischief by the looks of their eyes. "'Even these revolvers can merely succeed in damaging a few of their wooden bodies, "'and after that we will be at their mercy.' "'But why fight at all in that case?' asked the girl. "'So I may die with a clear conscience,' returned the wizard gravely. "'It's every man's duty to do the best he knows how, and I'm going to do it.' "'Wish I had an axe,' said Zeb, who by now had unhitched the horse. "'If we had known we were coming, we might have brought along several other useful things,' responded the wizard. "'But we dropped into this adventure rather unexpectedly.' The gargoyles had backed away a distance when they heard the sound of talking, for although our friends had spoken in low tones, their words seemed loud in the silence surrounding them. But as soon as the conversation ceased, the grinning, ugly creatures arose in a flock and flew swiftly toward the strangers, their long arms stretched out before them like the bowsprits of a fleet of sailboats. The horse had especially attracted their notice, because it was the biggest and strangest creature they had ever seen. So it became the center of their first attack. But Jim was ready for them, and when he saw them coming, he turned his heels toward them and began kicking out as hard as he could. Crack! Crash! Bang! went his iron-shod hooves against the wooden bodies of the gargoyles and they were battered right and left with such force that they scattered like straws in the wind. But the noise and clatter seemed as dreadful to them as Jim's heels, for all who were able swiftly turned and flew away to a great distance. The others picked themselves up from the ground one by one and quickly rejoined their fellows, so for a moment the horse thought he had won the fight with ease. But the wizard was not so confident. Those wooden things are impossible to hurt, he said, and all the damage Jim has done to them is to knock a few splinters from their noses and ears. That cannot make them look any uglier, I'm sure, and it is my opinion that they will soon renew the attack. What made them fly away? asked Dorothy. The noise, of course. Don't you remember how the champion escaped them by shouting his battle cry? "'Suppose we escape down the stairs, too,' suggested the boy. "'We have time just now, and I'd rather face the invisible bears than those wooden imps.' "'No,' returned Dorothy stoutly. "'It won't do to go back, for then we would never get home. "'Let's fight it out.' "'That is what I advise,' said the wizard. "'They haven't defeated us yet, and Jim is worth a whole army.' But the gargoyles were clever enough not to attack the horse the next time. They advanced in a great swarm, having been joined by many more of their kind, and they flew straight over Jim's head to where the others were standing. The wizard raised one of his revolvers and fired into the throng of his enemies, and the shot resounded like a clap of thunder in that silent place. Some of the wooden beings fell flat upon the ground, where they quivered and trembled in every limb, but most of them managed to wheel and escape again to a distance. Zeb ran and picked up one of the gargoyles that lay nearest to him. 
The top of its head was carved into a crown, and the wizard's bullet had struck it exactly in the left eye, which was a hard wooden knot. Half of the bullet stuck in the wood and half stuck out, so it had been the jar and the sudden noise that had knocked the creature down more than the fact that it was really hurt. Before this crowned gargoyle had recovered himself, Zeb had wound a strap several times around its body, confining its wings and arms so that it could not move. Then, having tied the wooden creature securely, the boy buckled the strap and tossed his prisoner into the buggy. By that time, the others had all retired. End of chapter 11 Let's go shoot some oh. wooden gargoyles. I know, that's kind of gross that it's shot, but it's wood, <laughs> so I don't know. He's got a bullet rattling around in his head like a tic-tac, like the last tic-tac. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, Apparently. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so this is kind of fun, you know, the, the, you mm -hmm. know the, 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 we're, we're encountering all kinds of it's just kind of a rapid-fire creature after creature after creature after creature in this one, huh? Yeah, I thought they said gargoyles, but then the guy keeps mispronouncing it. Gorgoyles. Gorgoyles. Um, Usually gargoyles are stone, not wood, but okay. We're, yeah. I'm running with it. These, these are wooden gargoyles, but I mean, well, usually bears aren't invisible, but we had invisible bears last uh, episode. Yeah, that's I mean, true. Well, Foxfire said, shoot them. That won't do anything. Set them on fire. They're wood. That makes sense. Yeah, I think she even said set the buggers on fire. So Yeah, she did. Um, well, there's kiddo a kiddo teaser. teaser. Kiddo appears to have some kind of... I don't know if that's a, a baby kiddo. I think that might be a baby kiddo that has something tied around its belly. Hmm. It could be. I don't know. So I'm. I'm or it like, could be Eeyore's butt. Uh, could be Eeyore. I don't think Eeyore Eeyore's is tail. part of this. No, probably not. Probably not. But um, but yeah. So I mean, this you know, it doesn't seem like there is an overarching. Uh, you know, there's there's not the 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 war story that was going on in the last mm -hmm. one and everything, or or the the rescue attempt from the. Well, the it was the re last one was kind of a rescue thing where where they had to try and rescue people who'd been transformed into something else by the the gnome king. Before that yeah, yeah. was the big war in Oz, mm -hmm. and you know all the different factions there. This is just kind of seems to be like running from one crazy thing to another. You know. Well, you know they went through the earthquake so yes. they went through the center of the earth yeah and now they're making their way out like they're yeah just interacting with all the people I on their way out from the center of the earth to oz no no i understand that that's I'm just, my theory well yeah that's that's what what it is i mean it's not a theory that's that's totally what it is but it's just interesting to me that that you know mm -hmm. we're seeing that you know he's he's highly adaptable and not formulaic with the way he's telling a story yeah. um yeah. so you know you you get the overarching thing but this is like this is like a straight up you know yeah escape you know from and and from one thing to another you know things don't look another. good it, you know it's yeah 
it's still a fairyland, but sometimes the creatures are not nice. Yeah. So, uh, but all right. Well, I guess we should uh, get trucking along to the next one so we have time mm -hmm. to get to uh, Wormwood Forest afterwards. So yeah. here, we, here we go. Uh, this is chapter 12 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz. Let's see what denizens they may encounter next. Chapter 12 of Dorothy and the Wizard in Oz by L. Frank Baum. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Wonderful Escape For a while the enemy hesitated to renew the attack. Then a few of them advanced until another shot from the wizard's revolver made them retreat. That's fine, said Zeb. We've got him on the run now, sure enough. But only for a time, replied the wizard, shaking his head gloomily. These revolvers are good for six shots each, but when those are gone we shall be helpless. The gargoyles seemed to realize this, for they sent a few of their band, time after time, to attack the strangers and draw the fire from the little man's revolvers. In this way none of them was shocked by the dreadful report more than once, for the main band kept far away, and each time a new company was sent into the battle. When the wizard had fired all of his twelve bullets, he had caused no damage to the enemy except to stun a few by the noise and so he was no nearer to victory than in the beginning of the fray. "'What shall we do now?' asked Dorothy anxiously. "'Let's yell, all together,' said Zeb. "'And fight at the same time,' added the wizard. "'We will get near Jim so that he can help us, and each one must take some weapon and do the best he can. I'll use my sword, although it isn't much account in this affair.' Dorothy must take her parasol and open it suddenly when the wooden folks attack her. I haven't anything for you, Zeb. I'll use the king, said the boy, and pulled his prisoner out of the buggy. The bound gargoyle's arms extended far out beyond its head, so by grasping its wrists Zeb found the king made a very good club. The boy was strong for one of his years, having always worked upon a farm, so he was likely to prove more dangerous to the enemy than the wizard. When the next company of gargoyles advanced, our adventurers began yelling as if they had gone mad. Even the kitten gave a dreadfully shrill scream, and at the same time Jim the cab-horse neighed loudly. This daunted the enemy for a time, but the defenders were soon out of breath. Perceiving this, as well as the fact that there were no more of the awful bangs to come from the revolvers, the gargoyles advanced in a swarm as thick as bees, so that the air was filled with them. Dorothy squatted upon the ground and put up her parasol, which nearly covered her, and proved a great protection. The wizard's sword-blade snapped into a dozen pieces at the first blow he struck against the wooden people. Zeb pounded away with the gargoyle he was using as a club until he had knocked down dozens of foes, but at last they clustered so thickly about him that he no longer had room in which to swing his arms. The horse performed some wonderful kicking, and even Eureka assisted when she leaped bodily upon the gargoyles and scratched and bit at them like a wildcat. But all this bravery amounted to nothing at all. The wooden things wound their long arms around Zeb and the wizard and held them fast. Dorothy was captured in the same way, and numbers of the gargoyles clung to Jim's legs, 
so weighting him down that the poor beast was helpless. Eureka made a desperate dash to escape and scampered along the ground like a streak, but a grinning gargoyle flew after her and grabbed her before she had gone very far. All of them expected nothing less than instant death, but to their surprise the wooden creatures flew into the air with them and bore them far away, over miles and miles of wooden country, until they came to a wooden city. The houses of this city had many corners, being square and six-sided and eight-sided. They were tower-like in shape, and the best of them seemed old and weather-worn, yet all were strong and substantial. To one of these houses, which had neither doors nor windows, but only one broad opening far up underneath the roof, the prisoners were brought by their captors. The gargoyles roughly pushed them into the opening where there was a platform and then flew away and left them. As they had no wings, the strangers could not fly away, and if they jumped down from such a height, they would surely be killed. The creatures had sense enough to reason that way, and the only mistake they made was in supposing the earth people were unable to overcome such ordinary difficulties. Jim was brought with the others, although it took a good many gargoyles to carry the big beast through the air and land him on the high platform, and the buggy was thrust in after him because it belonged to the party, and the wooden folks had no idea what it was used for or whether it was alive or not. When Eureka's captor had thrown the kitten after the others, the last gargoyle silently disappeared, leaving our friends to breathe freely once more. "'What an awful fight!' said Dorothy, catching her breath in little gasps. "'Oh, I don't know,' purred Eureka, smoothing her ruffled fur with her paw. "'We didn't manage to hurt anybody, and nobody managed to hurt us.' "'Thank goodness we are together again, even if we are prisoners,' sighed the little girl. "'I wonder why they didn't kill us on the spot.' remarked Zeb, who had lost his king in the struggle. They are probably keeping us for some ceremony, the wizard answered reflectively, but there is no doubt they intend to kill us as dead as possible in a short time. As dead as possible would be pretty dead, wouldn't it? asked Dorothy. Yes, my dear, but we have no need to worry about that just now. Let us examine our prison and see what it is like. The space underneath the roof where they stood permitted them to see on all sides of the tall building, and they looked with much curiosity at the city spread out beneath them. Everything visible was made of wood, and the scene seemed stiff and extremely unnatural. From their platform a stair descended into the house, and the children and the wizard explored it after lighting a lantern to show them the way. Several stories of empty rooms rewarded their search, but nothing more. So after a time they came back to the platform again. Had there been any doors or windows in the lower rooms, or had not the boards of the house been so thick and stout, escape would have been easy. But to remain down below was like being in a cellar or the hole of a ship, and they did not like the darkness or the damp smell. In this country, as in all others they had visited underneath the earth's surface, there was no night a constant and strong light coming from some unknown source. Looking out, they could see into some of the houses near them, where there were open windows in abundance, and were able to mark the forms of the wooden gargoyles moving about in their dwellings. This seems to be their time of rest, observed the wizard. 
All people need rest, even if they are made of wood, and as there is no night here, they select a certain time of the day in which to sleep or doze. I feel sleepy myself, remarked Zeb, yawning. Why, where's Eureka? cried Dorothy suddenly. They all looked around, but the kitten was no place to be seen. She's gone out for a walk, said Jim gruffly. Where, on the roof? asked the girl. No, she just dug her claws into the wood and climbed down the sides of this house to the ground. She couldn't climb down, Jim, said Dorothy. To climb means to go up. Who said so? demanded the horse. My school teacher said so, and she knows a lot, Jim. To climb down is sometimes used as a figure of speech, remarked the wizard. Well, this was a figure of a cat, said Jim, and she went down anyhow, whether she climbed or crept. Dear me, how careless Eureka is, exclaimed the girl, much distressed. The gurgles will get her, sure. Ha <laughs> ha, chuckled the old cab horse. They're not gurgles, little maid. They're gargoyles. Never mind. They'll get Eureka, whatever they're called. No, they won't, said the voice of the kitten. And Eureka herself crawled over the edge of the platform and sat down quietly upon the floor. Wherever have you been, Eureka? asked Dorothy sternly. Watching the wooden folks. They're too funny for anything, Dorothy. Just now they are all going to bed, and what do you think? They unhook the hinges of their wings and put them in a corner until they wake up again. What, the hinges? No, the wings. That, said Zeb, explains why this house is used by them for a prison. If any of the gargoyles act badly and have to be put in jail, they are brought here and their wings unhooked and taken away from them until they promise to be good. The wizard had listened intently to what Eureka had said. I wish we had some of those loose wings, he said. Could we fly with them? asked Dorothy. I think so. If the gargoyles can unhook the wings, then the power to fly lies in the wings themselves and not in the wooden bodies of the people who wear them. So if we had the wings, we could probably fly as well as they do, or at least while we are in their country and under the spell of its magic. But how would it help us to be able to fly? questioned the girl. Come here, said the little man, and took her to one of the corners of the building. Do you see that big rock standing on the hillside yonder? he continued, pointing with his finger. Yes, it's a good way off, but I can see it, she replied. Well, inside that rock, which reaches up into the clouds, is an archway very much like the one we entered when we climbed the spiral staircase from the Valley of Woe. I'll get my spyglass, and then you can see it more plainly. He fetched a small but powerful telescope, which had been in his satchel, and by its aid the little girl clearly saw the opening. Where does it lead to? she asked. That I cannot tell, said the wizard, for we cannot now be far below the earth's surface, and that entrance may lead to another stairway that will bring us on top of our world again where we belong. So if we had wings and could escape the gargoyles, we might fly to that rock and be saved. I'll get you the wings, said Zeb, who had thoughtfully listened to all this. That is, if the kitten will show me where they are. But how can you get down? inquired the girl, wonderingly. 
For answer, Zeb began to unfasten Jim's harness strap by strap and to buckle one piece to another until he had made a long leather strip that would reach to the ground. I can climb down that all right, he said. No, you can't, remarked Jim with a twinkle in his round eyes. You may go down, but you can only climb up. Well, I'll climb up when I get back then, said the boy with a laugh. Now, Eureka, you'll have to show me the way to those wings. You must be very quiet, warned the kitten, for if you make the least noise, the gargoyles will wake up. They can hear a pin drop. I'm not going to drop a pin, said Zeb. He had fastened one end of the strap to a wheel of the buggy, and now he let the line dangle over the side of the house. Be careful, cautioned Dorothy earnestly. I will, said the boy, and let himself slide over the edge. The girl and the wizard leaned over and watched Zeb work his way carefully downward, hand over hand, until he stood upon the ground below. Eureka clung with her claws to the wooden side of the house and let herself down easily. Then together they crept away to enter the low doorway of a neighboring dwelling. The watchers waited in breathless suspense until the boy again appeared, his arms now full of the wooden wings. When he came to where the strap was hanging, he tied the wings all in a bunch to the end of the line, and the wizard drew them up. Then the line was let down again for Zeb to climb up by. Eureka quickly followed him, and soon they were all standing together upon the platform with eight of the much-prized wooden wings beside them. The boy was no longer sleepy, but full of energy and excitement. He put the harness together again and hitched Jim to the buggy. Then, with the wizard's help, he tried to fasten some of the wings to the old cab horse. This was no easy task, because half of each one of the hinges of the wings was missing, it being still fastened to the body of the gargoyle who had used it. However, the wizard went once more to his satchel, which seemed to contain a surprising variety of odds and ends, and brought out a spool of strong wire, by means of which they managed to fasten four of the wings to Jim's harness, two near his head and two near his tail. They were a bit wiggly, but secure enough if only the harness held together. The other four wings were then fastened to the buggy, two on each side, for the buggy must bear the weight of the children and the wizard as it flew through the air. These preparations had not consumed a great deal of time, but the sleeping gargoyles were beginning to wake up and move around, and soon some of them would be hunting for their missing wings, so the prisoners resolved to leave their prison at once. They mounted into the buggy, Dorothy holding Eureka safe in her lap. The girl sat in the middle of the seat, with Zeb and the wizard on each side of her. When all was ready, the boy shook the reins and said, "'Fly away, Jim!' "'Which wings must I flop first? asked the cab-horse undecidedly. "'Flop them all together,' suggested the wizard. "'Some of them are crooked,' objected the horse. "'Never mind. We will steer with the wings on the buggy,' said Zeb. "'Just you light out and make for that rock, Jim, and don't waste any time about it either.' So the horse gave a groan, flopped its four wings all together, and flew away from the platform. Dorothy was a little anxious about the success of their trip, 
for the way Jim arched his long neck and spread out his bony legs as he fluttered and floundered through the air was enough to make anybody nervous. He groaned, too, as if frightened, and the wings creaked dreadfully, because the wizard had forgotten to oil them, but they kept fairly good time with the wings of the buggy, so that they made excellent progress from the start. The only thing that anyone could complain of with justice was the fact that they wobbled first up and then down, as if the road were rocky instead of being as smooth as the air could make it. The main point, however, was that they flew and flew swiftly, if a bit unevenly, toward the rock for which they had headed. Some of the gargoyles saw them, presently, and lost no time in collecting a band to pursue the escaping prisoners, so that when Dorothy happened to look back, she saw them coming in a great cloud that almost darkened the sky. End of chapter 12 oh, Sorry about that, I forgot to do the music. So, <laughs> uh, That's okay. <laughs> I was working on a listing, but um, yeah. So, uh, so what do you th what do you think? Uh, we're we're getting uh, we're we're over the halfway point of this uh, this book. Yeah. Well, of course, I want nice things to happen, but you know they're escaping, so that's good. Yeah, uh, nice things. Uh, it doesn't look like the nice things are going to happen until the very last <laughs> chapters. So, but uh, it's not Wormwood Forest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so that, that was, you know, that was entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a little, little bit of a nail biter, a little bit of a nail biter. So, and, uh, yeah, so, uh, but no, I just, uh, I, I just did a, a just funny little anecdote, uh, before we get to mm -hmm. Worm, Wormwood Forest is, uh, I was doing, uh, the, that Witch's Sabbath movie. And I, oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking up the uh, the uh, real classy movie. It's about a witch's coven in a strip club, and <laughs> and they're luring and they have to decapitate six hundred and sixty six victims for their dark master before Halloween. Um, oh wow! And uh, and then I looked up the cast, and um, and I, I the, apparently this was the only non adult film that one of the actresses did because I was like, whoa, I can't put those titles on anything. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, it's like, um, hmm. Sometimes adult movies can be funny, but sometimes they can be very dirty. Let me just say, let, let me say that most of the titles were like, uh, you know, think of like food eating person. Okay, think of that sentence, but yeah. repl replace every word with something obscene. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's okay. Yeah. That's why it's very hard to sell that stuff, because who are you going to sell it to? Well, you know, that, that's You the can't thing. even list the titles. Well, it's no. so dirty. Oh, that stuff, yeah, that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we don't, you know, we don't, dirty. that's why we don't even, you know, I wouldn't want to nah. deal with that kind of stuff. Uh, no. But yeah, so I just put in parentheses. I was like, "I'll let you go ahead and look up her filmography." Um, <laughs> so, um, and I and I also said, "Get the snacks ready and make sure you have plenty of singles." <laughs> it's a strip That's goal. funny. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's go ahead and uh, get to the crappy sounding rooster. 
<laughs> that starts off Wormwood Forest. Let's find out what's going on with Freddy the Frog this week. Oh boy, another day in Wormwood Forest. Hello, boys and girls. Again, it's time for another visit with our friends down in Wormwood Forest. Hey, hey, don't run away. Listen a while, you'll want to stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hello, everybody. This is Dippy Dwarf. Today, gorgeous frog, Frankie that is, tries to outbox a box. So don't leave your radio, listen to a wild animal show. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Hi! Can't you cut out that noise, Gricehopper? A turtle can hardly sleep. This is no place to sleep, Timothy Turtle. This is a junk shop. I believe it. Uh, here, Turtle, help me lift this piece of tin. I don't want to crush the grass. Say, your grass does look good. Did you plant grass seed? Oh, just let nature take its course. You know, Gricehopper, yesterday morning I did see blossoms on the apple tree. I took a breath and thought, could it be it's green? Up time. Did the same thing myself, Turtle. Then I began to look around, and in every field I found, greens were a pushing up through the ground for green. Up time to welcome in the green. Up time. <laughs> and so much for music. Help me lift this tin, boy. Oh, too tired. Tim, look out for that sharp nail. Oh, what nail? What nail? Where? Where? Nowhere. And now that you're on your feet, you can help me. You're a monster, Gerald Gricehopper. Only on Saturdays. Uh, don't see it here. What you looking for, Gerald? Can of green paint. What you gonna paint, Gerald? You're awfully nosy, Tim boy. I don't really want to know. Just asking to be polite. Well, since you're dying with curiosity, I'll tell you. We need the green paint to color some bobby pins. Who wants green bobby pins? Gorgeous frog. Oh. He's going to call them froggy pins. And as he walks out to the rig to wrestle, he'll casually throw the froggy pins out to his admirers. Clever, huh? Oh, I'm sleepy. Yoo-hoo, Gerald Grasshopper. Oh, hi, Kitty. I have the package of bobby pins. Do you have the green paint? Hi, Kitty. Haven't found the paint yet, Kitty. Oh, you must hurry, Grasshopper. I'm looking fast as a can. Hi, Kitty. Well, look faster. I'll help. You'll look over there by the barrel. Hi, Kitty. Timothy Turtle, will you please be quiet? You talk too much. You could at least say hello. Very well, then. Hello. Hi. I hope you're satisfied. Gerald, which barrel? Well, that one over there, full of catnip. Catnip? I don't dare go near it. Well, why not, Kitty? Too dangerous. I don't see any green paint around here. Neither do I see any. Guess I'm smack dab out of green paint. I'll just have to try somewhere else. Susie Skunk might have a cat in her purse. Oh, so she might. Goodbye, Grasshopper. So long, Kitty. Hi, Gerald. Give me a chew of that rabbit tobacco. Oh, here you are, Turtle, but be careful. There's a strong wind. Just give it to me. Thanks. So long, Kitty. Hey, right back in my eye. What did I do wrong? You were facing the wind, boy. You gonna let that be a lesson to you, Turtle? I sure am. 
I've learned that I'm better off with my eyes closed. Ninety-nine. <sighs> Badger residence. Oh, I do hope Susie Skunk has some green paint. If you're working your way through magazines by seven schools, I don't... Oh, hello, Kitty. Oh, hello, Susie Skunk. Do come in. I haven't vacuumed the carpets yet. Sue, I'll come straight to the point. Do you have a can of green paint? Well, there might be a can in my purse. I'll look and see. Where is your purse? Under the scattered rug. Why do you keep it there? It's the only place I can remember where I put it. Everyone says I'm so scatterbrained. Oh, here it is, my little purse. Wrong. See if there's a can of green paint in it. Let me see. A jar of prickly pear pickles. A blue-white diamond. A blue-white diamond? Is it real? If it isn't, do you think I'd have paid all of 25 cents for it? Hmm. Book of yours, postage stamps, a broken crochet hook, a damp sponge, oh, a portable mug one. That's a good question. I didn't ask you what it was. Oh, shoe polish, a gallon of milk. A gallon of milk in your purse? It's condensed milk. Well, no green paint. What's that can there? Oh, that's just a can of polka dot paint. No green. Oh, this is dreadful. The frog won't have any green bobby pins. I'm as sorry as I can be, Kitty. Well, thanks just the same, Sue. I'll be going now. Won't you come down to the cricket's hearth with me? I'm meeting my woodchuckies there for a chocolate float ice cream soda special with whipped cream, chopped nuts, sliced banana, and a maraschino cherry on the top. I think such a meeting would be too sweet for me. Bye, Sue. Bye-bye, Kitty. Oh, I hate to tell Frankie about the bobby pins, but there's no use in dilly-dallying, regardless of how beautiful I look when I do. Dippy Dwarf, have you seen Frankie Frog? He's out in back, Kitty, building a stone fence. The frog? Building? Working? Does sound miraculous, but he's doing it. How did you ever get him to work? I told him that lifting rocks and stones would keep him in shape. And he believed me. (laughs) This I've got to see. Excuse me, dwarf. Uh, He's around on the left side now, kitty. I'll find him around. A frog working just to be doing something. Well, sure enough, he really is. Frankie! Hiya, kitty baby. Want to watch me keep strong and supple? No, it makes me tired just to watch. Um, put that stone down and listen. Yeah, got news for me? Uh, good news? No, bad news. We can't locate any green paint. Well, I don't need any green paint. I never may- wear makeup. This paint was to be used on bobby pins, remember? Oh, yeah, booby pins. Not booby pins, bobby pins. Oh, bobby pins, booby pins. They were for me, weren't they? You're right, booby pins. Mm. Well, you won't have any green ones. Oh, well, <laughs> you'll have to be satisfied with looking at me. After all, I'm green. Brown, you're so big and strong, Frankie. Brown. The night is young, the skies are clear, and if you want to go walking, dear, it's delightful, it's delicious, it's lovely. Brown. 
I understand the reason why you said a metal cost so am I. Ow. It's delightful, it's delicious, it's lovely. When you sing to me, my whiskers tingle. And very fetching they are while tingling. Oh, look, a car. Yeah, it's a woodchuck score. Hello, woodchuck. Hello, kitty, Frankie. Hiya, dumb cluck. Where's Susie Skunk? She's sitting on the running board. Susie, what are you doing riding there on the running board? I try to be sensible and keep my feet on the ground. Isn't she the one? Yeah, I bet you wear a lot of shoes dragging your feet along the ground. Yes, but I have to do something to keep down to earth. When I'm out with my chucky, I seem to be floating on a cloud. Well, that's because I have air in my tires. You mean you had air in your tires? Oh, mercy me, you're flat. You shouldn't have flattered your tires, dumb glucky. Yes, I've always heard flattery will get you nowhere. Look at that flat tire. Flatter than your flapjack. I love flattery myself. Flatter me, dream frog. Okay, kitty. I'll tell you how gorgeous you are. Oh, I I almost forgot why I stopped here. To fix a flat tire? No. To tell Frankie about the fox. Oh, my manager. I don't want to see him. Well, he wants you to sign a contract for a fight. Well, I don't want to see the fox. Frankie, I think you should help Chucky fix the flat tire. Uh, flat? A uh, fix? Uh, uh, I gotta see the fox right away. Uh, so long, jokers. <laughs> you, you'll pardon me. I, I must go manicure my claws. Oh, mercy me. No one wants to help me fix the flat. I'll help you, Chucky, dear. Susie, I'd be lost without you. Lose my appetite. I'd be wasting away. <laughs> grieving every night. If you should ever tell me that it's over and through, I'd be lost without you, my little Susie. I'd be lost without you. Hey, Swinner Q Fox, I'm here. Da, excellent, gorgeous frog. Hey, do you want me to sign something? Yes, this contract sign right here. You okay, uh, Frankie? Gorgeous frog. Oh, there you are. Good. Uh, what did I just sign? The contract to wrestle a big boy bear, the bone crusher. <laughs> oh, no. Not that big bear. Oh, me. He'll break every bone in my body. Hey, can't we cancel the fight? You've signed, so you wrestle, frog. Oh, Let me. this be a lesson to you. Next time, read before you sign. Oh, gee. But there's so much fine print. Well, I guess I'd better read it now. Mm, guaranteed to sell so many tickets. Bear... Big old gee willikers, isn't there any way out? Gorgeous. You look a little pale around the gills. Why don't you take a stroll down by the brook in the fresh air? Yeah, maybe then I'd feel better. Gosh, wrestle that bear. He'll murder me. If I don't wrestle him, I'll be thrown into jail for a breach of contract. Oh, what am I gonna do? Here's the brook. Hey, I know what I'll do. I'll drown myself. I'll throw myself in the brook. Here goes... I'll drown, and then my worries will be over. Drown? Yeah, I must be crazy. I'm a frog. I take the water like a fish. Oh, well, now that I'm down here, I think I'll talk to Trudy Trout. Uh, hiya, Trudy. Hello, frog. What's this I hear about you being a wrestler? Uh, yeah, just signed up to fight Big Boy Bear. You'll probably crush me like an ice cream cone. Oh, I wish I could see the fight. Hey, you do? 
Yes, I teach in the school of fish, and all the pupils would love to see a wrestling match. Uh, how many fish in your school, Trout? Oh, a thousand or so. I'm sure we'd all come, but we're fish, and a fish out of water is a dead duck. Trudy, hey, you've just given me an idea. Uh, so long, Trout. I'm getting out. <laughs> Well, jumping in the brook wasn't such a bad thing to do. I think I know how I can have the advantage over a great big bear. Hey, Swinner Q Fox, I yeah. Hey, by the way, Fox, what does that Q stand for? For Quincy. It's such an honest name, don't you think? <laughs> hmm, I don't think. Hey, Fox, where's my contract to fight the bear? Right here on my desk. Mm, guaranteed to sell a thousand tickets. Hmm. Foxy doesn't say where the wrestling match is to be held. No, the bear doesn't care where. You'd just as soon crush your bones at one place as another. <laughs> then if I sell a thousand tickets in advance, can I name the place for the fight? Of course, gorgeous. Then you can start advertising right away. You've heard of fountain pens that ride underwater? Yes. And wristwatches that run underwater? Yes. Well, Fox, you're looking at a frog who wrestles underwater. Wrestled underwater? Yep. We're going to have this wrestling match in the brook. You have not only outfoxed a fox frog, but a bear as well. Yeah, just bear with me in the brook. I'll become the world champion underwater wrestler. Just wait. I'll sell those tickets. Hey, Frankie. Did I hear you say you outsmarted the bear? Yeah, sure did, Dippy. I sold over a thousand tickets to the fish in the brook. So the bear either wrestles me in the brook or concedes the fight. And you'll win the fight technically if he refuses to fight? Yeah, that's right. This way I can't lose. Don't be too sure, Frog. Be, uh, why not, Kitty? Here's a wire from the bear. A wire? Well, let me open it. Hey, he can't do this to me. He can't. Do, do what? what? The bear asked, would, would I rather fight him while he wears a diving suit or would I rather wrestle his understudy, a lobster? A, a lobster? Oh, those pinchers, those claws. Oh, hey, me. Frankie, you're getting white. All the colors draining out of your face. <laughs> Gee, Golligan's a bear in a diving suit or a lobster. You know something gorgeous, Frog? Yeah, what? This time next week, I don't think you'll look so gorgeous. Oh, me. Hey, hey, that's all today. We're so glad that you could stay. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. This is one wrestling match that may not be according to the usual rules, but for Frankie Frog, the usual rule is lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Remember next Saturday, listen to our animal play. There's always lots of fun down in Wormwood Forest. Wormwood Forest, written by Tom Titchener, has come to you from WSM in Nashville, Tennessee. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Froggy pins. There you go. NBC. Back in the early days. Yeah, this is, I'm beginning to understand why this got canceled because that episode was really painful. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of it's you know this whole wrestling thing is just you know it's just a it's a painful story. I don't know uh, why it's going off in that direction, but yeah, I, I'd rather hear more about the competing hotels or something like that. You know, yeah. seems like the cast has really kind of been gutted too. So. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't, it doesn't even seem like the voice actors are that into it, really. <laughs> so, uh, it's kind of the vibe I get. Maybe, or maybe I'm just projecting onto them. 
But uh, anyway, know. we're running a little bit long. We're probably going to have to cut uh, a chapter of Magic Island tonight. Um, eh. But uh, let's uh, let's get to the five-minute mystery. And uh, I think we got Kiddo coming our way. Yes, please, Foxfire. Um, and then as soon as, as soon as I get Kiddo, the sooner I can get working on some show art. But uh, <laughs> here we go. Um, and uh, she says, I promise he isn't singing. All right, here's our five-minute mystery. We'll be back. <laughs> we'll be back after this with Jerry of the Circus. Another five-minute mystery. Clark speaking. Yes? The Cooper Rubies? Where? Blackstone's at 49th. I'll be right over. Oh, come in, Inspector. Oh, this is terrible, terrible. And to think that we took such precautions. I just can't understand it. Now, now, just a moment, Mr. Blackstone. Just calm down a bit and tell me what's happened. I'll tell you what's happened. One of the Cooper rubies has been stolen. That's what's happened. I understand that, Mr. Blackstone. But if I could have some information about them... The Cooper rubies are a group of 15 of the most exquisite stones I have ever had in my possession. Uh, this woman, Mrs. Lloyd, came into my shop and asked to see the Cooper rubies. I wanted to buy one, but I certainly don't now. I was showing them to her myself. At the same time, I was showing this gentleman, Mr. Williams, some bracelets. Just a simple little bracelet for my wife, Inspector. I was interrupted by one of the sales girls. I turned away for just a moment, and when I looked back, one of the rubies was gone. Now I ask you, who other than one of these two could have taken it? Your assumption is quite sound, Mr. Blackstone. I'm very much afraid I'm going to have to ask you two to be searched. Why, of course. Leave your bag here on the desk. Mr. Blackstone's secretary will assist you in the other room. Mr. Williams, I'll search you in Mr. Blackstone's office. Now, uh, let's see. Mrs. Lloyd's bag. Compact. Nothing here. Lipstick. No secret compartments. I hope you're satisfied. Gloves. Nothing in the pockets. Well, I guess that eliminates you, Mrs. Lloyd. <laughs> now, Mr. Williams' things. Nothing in the pockets. Billfold. Comb. Does that eliminate me, Inspector? I guess it does, Mr. Williams. Everything seems to be quite in order. Uh, cigarette, Mrs. Lloyd? No, thank you. I don't smoke. Williams? No, thanks. I have my pipe. Oh, of course. Well, Mr. Blackstone, I've found your precious ruby. You've what? Uh, but I haven't seen it. No, you haven't seen it, Mr. Blackstone, but I know where it is. Mr. Williams, I arrest you for the theft of the Cooper ruby. <laughs> How did the inspector discover Eric Williams' theft of the Cooper rubies? Do you know the clue? In a moment, we'll hear more. But first...
what Inspector Clark has to say. But I don't understand. Where is the ruby, Inspector? Well, Mr. Blackstone, when I asked these two people to submit to be searched, I knew the guilty one would hold out. For a moment, I thought I was licked. We seemed to have all their possessions, yet nothing was evident. Only when I offered Mr. Williams a cigarette did I notice that he was smoking a pipe. Here, Mr. Blackstone, is your ruby, concealed in the bowl of this pipe. And now, Mr. Williams, I'd like to show you something in bracelets. A double one, better known as the handcuff. Suze is there, but we're back. Got our kiddo drop. Kiddo drop! Yay! I was right. They are kidlets, and they did have things strapped to them. They've got uh, makeshift little wings, and they've, uh, they're they oh. defeating the gargo gargoyles. They're wild. Wooden wings. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Cute. Thank you very much. Uh, as always, Moonmare. Uh, well, Foxfire 505. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, save that right now. Uh, yeah, so there you go. Uh, we're back. Hi, Suze. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah. You're not responding. Okay. Yeah, I... I <laughs> You're not responding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they stole the wings off the gargoyles. That's very cute. It's adorable. All right. They gotta do it. They do. So I'm gonna have some fun coloring that. I was happy to see they were kidlets. 
so that's exciting. <laughs> More color, too, you know. It's fun because there's more color with the kidlets. Yeah, because the gargoyles are just wood. I mean, they could be different colors of wood. I don't know. I'm sure. The tan. <laughs> Brown. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to get to work on that. And uh, unless you have anything else you'd like to say before we get to it, I'll just start running no. Jerry the Circus. Let's go on to the next one. Next story. Jerry of the Circus uh, from 1937. R Rags. Rags is playing with a tiger. Now for Jerry of the Circus. Hey, Jason. I bet those two will be good friends. Yeah, but not for long, I'm afraid. Why not? Well, there's always the danger that as the cub gets bigger, he might hurt Rags sometime while they're playing. If no one was around and there was blood or something, the cub might revert to his jungle ancestors. What do you mean, revert? Well, he might forget he's supposed to be a well-behaved wild animal, and suddenly smelling blood, he might think of the kill. Oh, I see, of course. I, I suppose he might. You still think you'd like to train to be pals? Uh, I should say not. What do you think I am? Guess maybe I'd better take rags now and... <laughs> I didn't mean to scare you, Jerry. Not much you didn't. No, it's safe enough for them to play now if we kind of keep our eyes on them. But it is true, you have to be pretty careful while the crud goes up. Golly, I, I should say so. I suppose they're too little to know why they do certain things. Well, that's it. And too young to be well enough trained so you can trust them. Is Fuzzy too small to start training yet? No, sir. He's just about the right age. Gee, I'd like to try. What can we teach him? I was planning on feeding him now, so this is just about the best time to start learning something. I, I know. Because you reward him when he does the right thing. You hit the nail right in the head, Jerry. Look, here's a little board. Let's make him jump over it. Okay. Take these pieces of meat and start calling him. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty. <laughs> All right, be still. I don't mean the kind of a cat you th think. Now, come here and light on. I'm trying to train this cub. Guess I'll call him Fuzzy. He may as well learn his name now. <laughs> Say, you're going to have your hands full. Here, I'll hold Rags. See, they both smell me. Oh, no, I, I can manage. Rags will behave. Down, Rags, and not a word out of you. Understand? <laughs> he may behave, but he sure sashes you back. Come on now, Fuzzy. Here, Fuzzy. He's cute. Well, he's got a good nose, all right. But he climbed over the board instead of just. That's all right. Give him this piece of meat. At least he'll know what's coming to him on the other side of that board. Uh, I'll put Fuzzy back on the other side of the board again. Now, Mr. Cubline, let's see you do your stuff. Okay, Fuzzy, come on. Well, that's better. Catching on, aren't you? Though you're kind of hungry, huh? Yeah, he acts as if he hasn't eaten for days. Cub lions eat just like little pigs. And in a couple of months, when they've got bigger stomachs and bigger appetites, you should see them. He hasn't jumped yet, but he certainly has learned to get over that board quick enough. He will. Just give him time. Here, we'll give him this another try. There you go, Fuzzy. Back on the other side. Here, Fuzzy, Fuzzy, Fuzzy. <laughs> he did it. He well, did it. <laughs> yeah, sure he did. But he lost his balance. His first jump. Pretty good, Fuzzy. You sure deserve your meat this time. Hey, careful of my finger. Gee, his teeth are sharp. Mm, so are his claws. Cubs can do plenty of damage if they're not watched. Say, wait a minute. Golly, he's quick. Yeah, he's not going to take any chances with the rest of that meat. Thinks he'd better get it now while the getting's good. Back you go. We'll try it once more, Fuzzy. Okay. I'm ready. Come on, Fuzzy. Oh, whoopee. Hey, that's what I call a real job. Watch out, Jerry. He's going to get the rest of that meat. Fuzzy, get away from there. Craig, stop it. Leave that cub alone. Hey, Jason, quick. Look at those little mutts. Here, get away. My golly, that cub is a scrapper for being such a little shaver. Fuzzy, you're trying to protect his meat. Trying to sprawl all over it, the little pig. <laughs> Poor Rags. Fuzzy can sure put on a vicious-looking act. 
Hey, Rags. Rags, look out. Stop it, Rags. Rags, Rags, stop it. Oh, jeez, look, Rags. You little vixen, you. Rags, oh, look, Jason, his leg. Good night. That's a mean one. Right in the joint, too. Rags, oh, you poor thing. Here, wait a minute. I'll stick Fuzzy back in the cage and help you fix Rags up. This cub is smart enough, but he's too much of a scrapper. Now, I can see you'll take plenty of training. Golly, do you think Rags will be all right? I never heard him whine so much. Do you think it's serious? Well, I'll see you in a minute. Here you are, cat. Now you stay in there. Come on, Jerry. We'll go over to my wagon. I've got a lot of first aid things over there. All right. Oh, there's Patsy. Hello there, Patsy. Where are you going? Oh, no place special. Just looking for some excitement, I guess. Excitement? Say, you just missed plenty of it. What happened? Say, what's wrong with Rags? Oh, he got scratched by the new cub Jason was just showing me. Oh, I'll say he did. Oh, oh, Jason, look. This looks kind of bad. Isn't that tendon torn or something? Look how he's holding that leg, as if he hasn't any control over it. Yeah, I know. I'm not sure yet. I'll have to fix it him up. Ah, uh, gee, it isn't serious, is it? Golly, I don't know what I'd do if anything happened to Rags. I certainly hope not. Come on in here. There you are, Rags. I can, can't tell very well what's what yet. We'll have to put a little iodine in here to be sure it's not infected. Got to be pretty careful with claws. They can be nasty sometimes. Yes, I know, I know. That's not very nice to take. Poor fellow. There you are, Rags. You're going to be all nice and well. Oh, you certainly do a marvelous piece of work, Jason. Why'd you learn to be such a good veterinarian? In a hospital. What do you mean? Oh, well, I was laid up once. And... Oh, you mean that time you had that bad accident in the cage? Yeah, that's it. Uh-huh. Well, all the time I was in the hospital, I learned everything I could about how to protect myself in case of an accident. <laughs> I even used to read books on anatomy. But how do you know about animals? Well, when I learned all I could about people, I got some books from the library on animals, so I'd be an amateur veterinarian, too. I always knew you were smart, Jason, but didn't realize how versatile you are. What's versatile? Well, that's being good at lots of things. Say, Jason, what are you doing with those sticks? I'm going to put Rag's foot in a splint. Oh, say, is it as bad as that? That doesn't mean it's serious, Jerry. It'll just protect Rags from getting hurt anymore, and it'll make him keep his legs still. Well, that one, anyway. But how'll he do his act? He won't do his act. Oh, say, what'll Bumps do? Well, I don't know. As soon as we get this fixed, you'd better take Rags over and see what Bumps says. You certainly go about that bandaging business professionally, Jason. Good night, Patsy. I, I almost forgot. What? Well, that letter came today. What letter? The one from the bank. Oh. Hey, sure it is. You want to read it? Oh, well, you haven't opened it yet. No, I thought I'd wait for you. Go on and read it. Okay, if you say so. Oh, this is short and sweet. I don't know whether it's going to help us much or not, though. Uh, what'd they have to say? Let's see. Well, this is from Mr. Ross. Yeah, I know. The man at the bank. Uh-huh. He says he checked with the clearinghouse that he told us about. That was sure nice of him. He says that particular lock is made by the Brunner Lock Company in Crystal Falls. Jiminy Whiskers, that's something. And he advises us to write them for further information. I'll do that today. Gee, will you, Pat? Mm-hmm. You're swell. Golly, I'd sure like to find out where that box is, Dad had. Well, if there's any way of tracing it, we'll find it. Don't you worry, Jerry. Well, Rags, if you ask me, that's a pretty neat job. <laughs> you're welcome. You've got a polite dog there, Jerry. Did you hear him thank me? I sure did. He knows you're trying to help him. Aw, look, he's licking your hand. That dog doesn't have to talk. He has so many little ways of letting you know what he wants. Yeah, and and sometimes it's a big help for him not to be able to talk, because he pretends he doesn't know what I'm telling him. So he takes advantage of you, hmm? Yeah, but I'm usually on to him. And then he looks so foolish when he sees I won't let him get away with something. Yeah, it's getting late, Jerry. I think you'd better run along and see Bumps and tell him about rags. If Bumps decides not to use him, he'll have to know ahead of time in order to plan his act. Oh, of course. And thanks, Jason, for fixing rags up so swell and... Goodbye, Patsy. Don't forget about that letter. I won't. See you later, Jerry. So long, Jerry. 
Norma, but you better rest this time. Come on, Buck, it's late. Hey, how's Ray? <laughs> Fit as a fiddle, but raising a rumpus every time I start to leave him here alone. Oh, can you blame him? Here we've been telling him the show has to go on regardless. Now that he's got his paw and his splint, we make him go to bed. Oh, it just doesn't make sense, does it, Rags, old boy? <laughs> well, I better get along. Rags, stop it. Quiet now. Hey, hey, Bumps, you think it hurt if, if Rags just ran around with you? Well, no, just on the walk around. Rags, you win. Come on, Bumps will take you along. I think it'll get him too excited not to let him work, Bumps. If you don't mind just letting him tag along on the walk around. <laughs> well, there's one thing that dog sure knows what he wants. All right, Rags, we'll do ourselves, even if we are handicapped. Gee, you're swell, Bumps. Hi, Patsy. Hi, folks. Hey, young fella, why aren't you in bed? You mean Rags? Mm -hmm. Oh, it's the trooper in him. He insists on going on. <laughs> well, I don't blame him. But do you think it's safe, Bumps? Oh, sure, we'll take it easy. You better watch us, though. We'll have to change our act. No somersaults this time. Oh, oh here's a cue. Come on, come on. <laughs> Isn't that just like Bumps? He'll have to change his whole routine. He's as proud of that pup as you are, Jerry. Golly, Rags is proud of himself. <laughs> like a kid that's finally got its own way. Well, he can do the boot trick anyhow. Sits on that big shoe and Bumps as proud as if he was driving along in the front seat of a car. Hey, gee, Bumps shouldn't. Oh, golly, I thought he was going to kick him up in the air and let him do some of those somersaults. <laughs> oh, don't you worry about Bumps. Hmm, kind of tricky the way he caught Rags on his shoulder. But you noticed he helped Rags land right so not as to hurt his leg. He thinks Rags owned the whole circus. He sits up there so proud. <laughs> Too bad he can't throw. <laughs> yeah. Say, look at him sniffing Bumps here. <laughs> oh, I bet that tickles. <laughs> Bumps is pretending he doesn't know where Rags is. Well, Rags isn't letting him get away with it. Look at him tap Bumps with his good paw. <laughs> look at Bumps hunting over the wrong shoulder, trying to find out what's back of him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what's happened? Oh, gee, Rags bumped his bad leg onto the stage. Oh, why is he lying so still? You think he's badly hurt, Jerry? Golly, I, I hope not. He, he just let out one yelp. I think he's playing possum, though. You know, dead dog. See, Bumps is picking him up. Heavens, he surely looks limp. Look at the way Bumps is shaking his head. Oh, I think Bumps is just putting that on for the audience, Jerry. Isn't he marvelous? You think he lost his last friend? He looks so sad. Oh, so it was just a game after all. Oh, it had me scared for a minute. Me too. Look at him run. Here, Rags. Here, Rags. <laughs> Poor Bumps puffing behind him. <laughs> oh, well, I'm all out of breath. Say, listen, Jerry. Get Rags over at the wagon, will you? I want to have a look at that leg. I'm afraid he really hurt himself when he ran into that stake. Oh, gee, Bumps. Golly, I'd never forgive myself if I made him go on and, and he really got hurt. Well, now, don't you worry, Jerry, but I'll tell you one thing. He doesn't work again until that leg is well. Ripped tendon in his leg. Eh, he'll be fine. Let him run around. He doesn't use all his legs, right? Ha 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 ha. Yep. Right, Suze? Sorry about that. My, uh, my screen got 
hidden there. Oh. But yeah, he doesn't use all his tendons in all of his legs. Sure. Just let the injured dog, you know, run around. It's smart. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, so, uh... But no, it's, you know... I, I find Jerry entertaining. I think that this is one of my favorites. This show. Jerry. Jerry in the circus. Delightful. Jerry of the circus. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I... You think it'll be okay if he runs around? I mean, yeah, the dog's leg is injured. What the heck do you think? Oh, the music that won't end. This is where you usually like to say something over the music. Yeah, I wish there was a circus doctor. Yeah. Doctor circus. Circus doctor. That'd be cute. Yep. But no go. It's not that kind of organization. Well, Jason um, got him fixed up, but then they, they threw him out and let him uh, run around. Maybe they should have consulted him. <laughs> Anyway, there's the end of the music. All right, finally. Um, so there yeah, you go. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm coloring right now. So if you have any color commentary that you'd like to make, uh, I wouldn't have to do as much. <laughs> color commentary? No, not not offhand. Living in a black and white world over here. Ah, uh, okay. Yep. I'll just play Jerry of the Circus. Uh, here you go. Now for <laughs> Jerry of the Circus. I wish you'd tell me what you're going to do. Don't be so much in a hurry. I show you, or maybe I let you show me. How can I show you what you're going to do? Especially if I don't know what it's all about. You see, Jerry, Alfredo don't know any better. He never know what he is going to do next himself. So how can he tell someone else? But he's putting those stakes into the ground for some reason. I tell you, I do this to amuse Rags. He is an invalid. He must laugh and get well quick. I think he likes these pounding, eh? You see, Rags, this is all for your own special benefit. <laughs> you better this morning, Mr. Rags, huh? <laughs> yeah. Gee, I, I was sure worried about him yesterday, though. We all worry about our star performer. Eh, Alfredo? There. Now that he's finished. What you say? Yes, yes, of course we worry about foolish dog that bangs his bad leg into a stake. He should be around circus more and watch out for those stakes. He usually does. Guess he just wasn't feeling so well. That's all right, though, Rags. The doctor says you can work in a few days. Say, what you doing with that wire? You just hold your pony. <laughs> you mean hold my horses. What difference it make? Pony, horses, all same animal? Oh, I see. You're putting up a wire. You see, Carlos, what a smart boy we have? After it is most done, he says, quick, what I am doing. But it, it's so close to the ground. That is so you won't fall so far. Me? Oh, what do you mean? I thought you say you want to learn to walk the wire. Oh, gee, you really going to show me how? Oh, say, Rags, isn't it swell? Now, Rags can see how quick you learn. Or, or how quick I fall. There, that is nice and strong now. Look, I show you how it goes first. See, nice and easy, like this. Gee whiz, it, it looks easy enough. Here, here, I, I lend you an old pair of my shoes. They're too small for me. Probably they're much too big for you, but you can try. Oh, say, here, Rags, you sit up on this top step and guard our wagon while I learn to walk on the wire. Nah, nah, take it easy, Jerry. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I won't hurt myself falling. Hey, don't watch your feet. 
But how will I know where to put them? Ah, that is the trick. Now, watch me. See? I tap very gently with my foot before I put it down on the wire. Then, you see, I put my weight on that foot and very slowly take up the other foot. Oh, I see. Then you bring it around and feel for the wire before you change your balance. That is right. Be sure you have a good place to put your foot down before you change your weight. Yeah. Now let me try. Uh. <laughs> hey, Alfredo, Jerry must think he is a windmill, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he swings his arms around just like... Hey, I... Got it. I had to keep my balance. Yes, I see you balance yourself nice and flat on ground. Here, take my balancing pole. Oh, hello. Maybe you like my parasol, hey, Jerry? Oh, hello there, Carmen. Say, did you just see me fall? Sure, she saw you fall. Every time we make mistake, Carmen is right there. Yes, yes, you fall just like Alfredo. He used to be all black and blue when he learned. You not like my parasol? It's better than balancing pole. No, that's for girls, a, a parasol. Maybe, but it is easier than pole. You see, it catches the air more like a sail. You remember, Alfredo, how easy it was the first time you used my parasol? <laughs> <laughs> I never forget it. You see, Jerry, Alfredo and I learned with the pole, and Carmen learned with the parasol. So Alfredo told her how much harder the pole was. We had the wire up pretty high. And, and Alfredo tell me he do the parasol easy. Like rolling off a tree, huh? You mean rolling off a log? Yes, a log. What difference it makes? So he not wait to make the wire lower. No, he's smart fellow. He tried the parasol up high. <laughs> <laughs> and he come down plunk like parachute. Only the parasol turned wrong side out. <laughs> I bet you were black and blue that time. I was, and so steep I could hardly walk. But I learned to walk with parasol after that. He sure did. You see, it is entirely different. You wave the parasol over your head with one hand. But the pole, you hold that with both hands and not over your head. I, I think I'll learn with a pole first and, and close to the ground. You smart boy. All right, you ready now? Remember, don't look at the wire where your feet are. But watch it way at the other end. Yes, because soon, by watching wire at the end, you'll learn which way it is swinging. And you keep steady by watching it where it is most steady. Oh, I see. It might make me dizzy watching it sway back and forth under my feet, huh? That is part of it. But the real reason is you must keep your body straight, not to let it bend. You keep your balance better, not to mention looking a lot better. See, there's an awful lot to think about, isn't there? At first, yes. But as soon as you get used to it, you find it comes automatic, without thinking. Listen, you all talk, talk, talk. And look at poor Rags, lying there waiting for Jerry to try again and make a nice ball so he can laugh himself well. Come, come on now, Jerry. Better try again. See, this is fun. There. Now if I can just keep my balance till I get my foot up. Remember, keep your eyes on the other end of the wire. Good. You stand nice and straight like little Indian. Yeah. Now be sure you have your foot steady on the wire before you put your weight on it. Good boy. Oh. Hey, well, uh, uh, Phew. Lucky oh. I catch you this time. Golly, thanks. You sure saved me another black and blue spot. I guess I stepped on my other shoe. I should say you did. 
What do you boys do? Put great big shoes on Jerry. What do you try to do? What do you mean? We not have shoes for boy. But these old ones of mine, they're too small for me. Uh, so you think it not matter if they're too big for Jerry? You both crazy. He step all over his feet. He never learn in these shoes. They are kind of big. Kind of. They're big enough for two of your feet. Look, Jerry. The Bendini men always crazy. Never think. Just like little boy. But the women, they smart. Like you, eh? Yes, like me. Now I get you old pair of my shoes, Jerry. To see our feet just about the same size. Gee, they are at that. And then someday, when these Bendini boys have time... We all three show you how to walk. Golly, I really think I could learn if my shoes weren't too big. I kind of was beginning to get the hang of it. Good. I look through my things and I find my old shoes for you. Well, hello, folks. How's my partner coming along? Oh, well, good. You sound kind of perky there, Rag. Too bad you come so late, Bump. Jerry here walk on wire. You did? Uh... Well, good. Let's see. No, no, not now. He cannot. Look at these shoes they put on the boy. It's a wonder he could walk at all. I'm going to get him some nice little ones of mine, and we try again some other time. <laughs> all right, if you say so. Oh, say, I hear we're in for some bad weather ahead. And they say the grounds are awful in the next town. No. And it's so nice and sunny here. Well, you hear that? Well, I was talking to Mr. Randall when a telegram came through from the advance agent, warning us about the next stop. Say, do they have to do that? Why, sure. Every time we move, we get word what the place is like ahead. What did the telegram say? Well, now, if I remember correctly, it said, uh, very slow lot. Half-mile haul, load poles to caboose. Doesn't make much sense to me. What does load poles to caboose mean? Well, you see, Jerry, the poles on the wagon are always loaded in the same direction. So that when we get into a town, they'll all be heading the right way to unload. Say, they have to think of everything, don't they? They're very smart in this country. But but I didn't hear you say anything about the weather or the circus grounds being bad. Well, as a matter of fact, the papers are full of the rains, and yes, and even floods they're having in the country we're heading for. But the telegram did say, very slow lot. Yeah, but, but what does that mean? Well, slow lot means that work has to be done on the lot before we can pitch the circus. It may mean it's muddy or overgrown with weeds or... Then, then very slow lot means more extra work. Right. And when we can move right in, they say fast lot. I see. That's easy once you know the code. You know, I happen to remember that field we're coming to. We played there last year, and it's clay, which is plenty mean when it rains. Gee, I should say so. You know, I'd kind of like to watch him unload sometime. <laughs> well, why don't you? Jerry, he likes to sleep too much, huh? No, I, I'd like to get up if somebody'd wake me. Oh, that is a good excuse. <laughs> I'll wake you up if you really want to get up, Jerry. But I won't get up myself. I guess it's a circus in my blood, but I always wake up when we stop at the runs. And then I turn over as if nothing had happened and settle down for my last snooze. Gee, will you call me in the morning then, Bumps? Rain or shine? Sure. Who's afraid of a little rain? I like it. That's the trooper. Okay, Jerry, I'll see that somebody takes you in charge in the morning and shows you the ropes. That'll be swell. Oh, I forgot. I forget to tell you boys why I came over here. Happy told me to tell you he thinks you better check on the wire, yes? Why? What is wrong? I don't know. He said when he tightened it yesterday... It did not seem to have the resiliency or something it should have. These women, they never remember technical terms. The wire could be ready to fall apart and you'd never know it until it dropped you to the ground. Why should I learn? 
I have two perfectly good brothers. I guess they want to save their neck as well as I. I let them do the worrying. <laughs> well, that's perfectly good reasoning <clears throat> for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, boys, I guess it's up to you to see that the wires check. You bet we see. Come, Alfredo. Goodbye, Jerry. Don't forget to leave the shoes in the wagon. I won't. I don't remember. Some morning soon, we really teach you how to walk the wire. Goodbye, Bob. So long, <laughs> Goodbye. Bye, folks. <laughs> Golly, they sure move fast this time. Well, I don't know as I blame them. After all, that wire's the only thing that keeps them hanging in midair. Why, that's their life. It certainly behooves them to take every precaution they can to see that it's in perfect condition. I should say so. Well, Rags, we hope they find out what's wrong with the wire, huh? <laughs> and next, we hope you hurry up and get that foot out of the splint so Bumps can do his act. Well, I certainly miss that dog. Seems like I was coming to depend on him for an awful lot of laughs. I'll tell you, Rags. If you feel good enough in the morning, I'll take you along when we watch them unload. Think you'd like that? Minute of music. Yep. The music keeps playing. But the pictures are lovely. Your your uh, your coloring is lovely. Well, Foxfire gives me good material to work with. You're muted. Oh, I said, wow, you didn't hear any of that. Okay. Uh, yeah, it looks great. Time for go to bed. To the action of the... I think the coloring looks great. Uh, any thoughts on Jerry the Circus? Um, it's, uh, he's type, he's, uh, tightrope walking and learning some things and getting up there and they're laughing hysterically. I don't know. Italian stereotypes. Uh, yeah, misogyny. that too. That's not pretty, Whatever. but, uh, Anyway, well, I get if you don't have much to say, I'll just play the Magic Island and we'll end the show. So yeah. here's uh, Magic Island. At last, we are really on the Magic Island of the South Sea. However, it seems to be not a place of beauty and peace as the islands are thought of, but a sinister and foreboding fortress, the stronghold of a terrible scientific colony. Jerry Hall, Mrs. Patricia Gregory, and Captain Tex Bradford have been allowed to see the little girl whom they came to find. 
The girl is Joan Gregory, long-lost daughter of Patricia Gregory. Mother and daughter have been given a moment of privacy in the tiny room the girl occupies on the Isle of Euclidia, the magic island. I'm so happy to have found you, my dear, that nothing else matters to me. I can even bear being a prisoner here if I may only be with you, my, my dear little Joan. And I'm so happy to be with you, Mrs. Mother. But it all seems so strange. I'm called Cleostra here. All of our names have to do with scientific things. And yet you call me Joan. And somehow it seems that I have always been Joan. You have to me, dear. You've always been my little daughter. Though the width of the sea and 14 years have separated us. Mother. Oh, it sounds so nice to say that. Mother. And you'll always be able to say it now. For Mother will never leave you. We'll go back to California. To the United States. To the great free outside which you call the world. Tell me of your home. We hear much of it through our space phones. And can even see your United States through our universal prism reflectors. But the images are not clear. And your old-fashioned and weak electrical apparatus gives us a particularly mediocre signal. What a precious infant you are. You know so much more than your mother. Your speech would shame many of our educators. And yet, I wonder if you've been happy here. Happy? I believe so. We have games. Relaxation, you know. What sort of games? When the full rest period comes, in the middle of the day, we gather in the common laboratory... And we may use the entire time, 600 seconds, in working out such mathematical and electrochemical problems as may suit our fancy, even though they haven't the slightest practical value. And that is relaxation. Your wisdom makes me very sad, my child. You're only a young girl, barely 15 years old, and you should still be playing as a happy child. Don't you ever run and jump and play athletic games? Don't you ever laugh? No one on Euclidean laughs. Except G-47. And when he laughs, it is only horrible. He is the most brilliant man in the universe and the most terrible. Is he abusive, mean, unkind to you? G-47 would not trouble to be anything but scornful toward any mere human. What am I or what are you or anyone else to a man who has only to raise his hand and destroy a world? So that's it. Then this weird colony is made up of mad scientists bent on world conquest by science. I might have known it. It is not a pleasant place for some here, I think. Some who have known your world as you know it. But to me, it is all I know. You will soon know the world as I know it, my dear. I'll take you back to my home. Your home. Why, my estate is larger than this whole island. And things grow naturally there. Flowers and trees. Why, of course. Don't you have them here? You will see in the light of day. We have everything and nothing. You will come back with us to our world just as quickly as Captain Bradford makes arrangements for us to leave this island. There are many here who have been trying for years to leave the island. They are still here. And some who have left, they never arrived at any known place. But there was one person who got safely away, an old sailor, not long ago. He was picked up by a ship in the open sea and sent word of this strange island to the world by radio. And... Where is that old sailor now? He died almost as soon as he got his radio message to the world. Yes, he died. So you see, no one ever gets away from this island for long. Joan, do you realize what you're saying? Surely you don't mean that his death was not accidental. I think that I can tell you, all of you, much that will be to your advantage. But we will be overheard now. And it's better that I wait until another time, when Captain Bradford may hear it at the same time... 
One thing I can tell you now, G-47 thinks that Captain Bradford is the only man in the world who might interfere with his plans. Then we'll tell the captain. Tex is a brave and clever man, and Jerry Hall is a smart, dependable boy. We'll find a way to get off this island and back to the world, and then... And then... uh, What? I didn't see. (laughs) You do not see me now, do you? These rooms are made of some metal, which allows you to see through it from the outside only. What a nightmare of life you must lead here. You will not need to speculate long on the type of existence peculiar to Euclidia. Your quarters will be assigned to you. Where are Captain Bradford and Jerry? Uh, You are dangerously impertinent in your inquisitiveness, but it is obviously ignorance. Your fine captain is in solitary confinement, learning a lesson about behavior on the scientific fountainhead of the universe. What has the captain done to warrant that? He asked too many questions, and I might add, you, madame, are following the same line. Be quiet, please, dear mother. How touching the reunion. (laughs) Well, little lady, you will bear in mind that your mother's world means nothing to you. You are part of this vast machine. You are Cleostra, the living symbol of the perfect calendar. My mother tells me my name is Joan. By this time tomorrow night, your mother will have learned that what she tells you is of no moment here. Where is Jerry? Is he locked up with the captain? No. That adolescent walking loudspeaker is waiting without. I will allow him to perform a service for me. You, Cleastra, will go with him to the voice transmission chambers. I will direct him to send a message for me. You, madame, may go and talk to your precious captain. But may I... Silence, go. The woman waiting without will conduct you. You may speak to the captain through the wall of his cell, as I now speak to you. Go, I said, go, go. Goodbye, Joan. I'll see you soon. Goodbye, mother. Goodbye. Ah, there is no time for sentiment here. Come out. Come. What do you wish of me? Oh, Jerry, I'm glad to see you. Silence, Cleastra. You will conduct this boy to the voice transmission chambers. Show him the operation of the Euclidea to California voice transmission beam and see that he sends the following message. All is well. We'll send further news later. He will send it to Mrs. Gregory's home operator. Use the signature of the Gregory yacht. Say, now look here. You can't buffalo me into sending anything of the kind. Have you seen our solitary confinement cells? Why, gee... Jerry, do as he says. I'll explain it all to you later. Be off. Send that message. Then report to me in my private quarters. Be off. Be off. Come on, Jerry. There's no use arguing with him. Oh, I guess you're right. But I'd sure like to punch him on the snozzle. Golly whiskers. You're a strange boy, Jerry. What does that mean? What does what mean? Punch him on the schnozzle, golly whiskers. You don't speak very good English here, do you? That I do not know, but I like the way you speak. Do you? On the level? On the level? Yeah, yeah, on the level. Do you not speak in the same manner on the level as you would on an elevation? Hey, look, one of us is wrong, and, and I got along all right in school, so it must be you. Now, look, you like me, is that right? That is substantially correct, Jerry. Well, I got that much of it right anyhow. Now, I like you too. That is very pleasant, Jerry. We must see each other as often as we are allowed to. Oh, boy, that's slick. Slick? Uh, Never mind that now. Just listen, listen. I know all about you for a long time. 
I got Mrs. Gregory and Tex Bradford to bring me with them just so as I could help find you. But I have not been lost. Why should you have to find me? I have known where I was at all times. Well, it's about time I got you off this island. Now listen. No, no, don't talk. Just listen. I've dreamed about you for years. It's been on all the papers about your mother looking all over the world for you. And I just got to thinking so much about you that I... Well, golly, well, you're mighty nice. You are also mighty nice. Golly, Whiskers, you got that one right. Now look, you and I have got to do some figuring about getting off this island. Captain Bradford is locked up because he asked too many questions about how things are done here on this island. And we've got to do something about it. There's very little we can do, Jerry. G-47 hears and sees all that goes on in Euclidia. Never mind that. Your mother's been looking for you for 14 years. And Captain Bradford's been helping her for five or six years. Well, and now that you're found... But, Jerry... You were lost. And now that you're found, we're not going to spend the rest of our lives on this island. Is your world such a wonderful place, then... That it is worth all this worry and trouble and danger merely to attempt to return to it? Is it worth it? Oh, boy. Wait till I take you to a moving picture premiere on Hollywood Boulevard. You ought to see some of those big shows. We often watch what you call your moving pictures from here when we are allowed the time. Oh, sure. You've got machines here. No, no, Jerry. We see them being made. I will show you the universal prism reflectors. They may be focused on your Hollywood, and the making of the pictures is quite plain to us here in Euclidia. Boy, this is a magic island. My mother's yacht was watched all the time. Every move you made on the trip from your California to our island was seen by our scientists. They did not let me watch, but I heard them talking. Maybe getting off this island won't be so easy after all. It will be impossible, Jerry. Oh, but here is the voice transmission chamber. We enter. So? And there's the apparatus you will use. Hmm? Where? This is the craziest place. We walk all over the island without making a sound. Then we open the door and we're inside of a room without a sound. And now that we're in here, there isn't a sign of anything to send a message with. You see that map on the wall? You will push the little lever, the one marked California. Okay. It's pushed. Now what is that to? You may now talk to California. Just direct your voice naturally toward that wall. You know, someday I'm going to write a book about this place. Well, here goes. J24Y to J12C, Los Angeles. Jerry Hall on J24Y to Johnson at J12C. Hello, J12. J12C to J24Y. Go ahead, J24. I've been waiting for two hours for your signal. Listen, J12. Enough has happened in the last two hours to fill a book. We're in terrible danger on the island. Our position is... So, you silly fool. You would try to deceive me? Oh, G-47. That terrible ray gun. You've used it on Jerry. It is a pretty toy, is it not, Cleostra? Would you like to know how it feels? Would you like to know how it feels? <gasps> oh. Is it that the end? Yeah. Sudden ending? Yeah, it always ends suddenly. We've um, yeah. yeah. Would you like to know how it feels? <laughs> yep. 
Man, they didn't have a budget for music, I guess, on this show. So I wondered how I wonder how they used <laughs> to introduce the damn thing uh, when it was on the radio. Budget for music? So. It's not like music cost anything back then. That's the beauty. Even in the '60s, all music was just ripped off constantly, and no one thought anything of it. Just needed some guy with an organ. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway, uh, well, there we are at the end of the show, uh, so, uh, go ahead and give your final thoughts. Final thoughts. I'll be watching you. Um, yeah, I don't know. Should Joan stay on the island? I think she doesn't know anything else. She doesn't know where to go. What to do. The Oz people are coming out of the center of the earth. Jerry's got a dog that got a, his leg ripped off. And then they still made him work. And <laughs> they still make him work. Well, when you're 11, you have to work, you know? Oh, the dog. But, um, yeah. But, yeah. Wormwood what? Forests will be wrapping up soon. And we're uh, we're halfway through Dorothy and the Wizard, but um, yeah, be sure to check out. It came from Cleveland tomorrow. Um, we're gonna be talking about uh, some fun celebrity birthdays. I'll be talking about Michael Keaton and um, Henry Thomas from ET, uh, who's just <laughs> a few months uh, younger than me. Uh, he's done some interesting stuff, and uh, Joe. Oh, shoot. I forget who Joe is handling, but we'll be back on the Twilight Zone. Uh, Michelle will be talking about Jeffrey Combs and oh. um, from uh, Reanimator and things like that. I think that, that I believe that's his name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Henry and, Thomas sounds like fun. He was uh, in a movie called The Quest. Yeah, I couldn't find that on his IMDb last night. I was kind of frustrated, but that, um, he was also in Cloak and Dagger with Dabney Coleman, which was a fun movie. Oh. So, uh, hmm. but anyway, uh, yeah, everybody have a good night. Tune in tomorrow. It came from Cleveland. Good night. <laughs>